This morning we'll be in Deuteronomy 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 5. A couple things coming up. Last Saturday of every month we have a prayer time here, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, men's conference next Friday and Saturday, 20th and 21st. It's $40 per person. Register on your own. If you're thinking about going and you want to maybe see if anybody's carpooling, you can talk to Josh in the back about that. He's not going, well, he's going down the night before, but um, if you need to carpool, he could maybe make some arrangements for that. Um, I'm not going to be going this year. I'm going to go to the one in the fall, but uh, I think Josh is going and some other guys. So if you're interested. Garage sale May 3rd through the 5th is coming up. Um, thank you for holding off on bringing all your stuff. We just don't have space for it. Um, you've kept it for 10 years. What's another two and a half weeks, right? If you can't and you need to get it here because it's ready to go, just take it over to the shed. That's all we can ask right now. We don't have any space in the building right now. So over in the shed, just drop it off and we'll try to get it over here the, the night of, Wednesday night. Um, no doors on it, so we, yeah. No. It's going to be over here Wednesday night. There's no Bible study beforehand. We're going to take that whole day and night to set up because we open up Thursday morning. We're doing it different this year, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So um, we're going to have three days of it. Um, and then, so, yeah, if that helps. Well, it doesn't help, but, yeah, it's going to be over there. So if you do bring it over there, we have to shuttle it over here. So if you can hold on to it, that would be great. Um, that'd be great until Wednesday. Uh, Breaking Chains, May 18th through the 19th is coming up. A sign-up sheet is out there not only for the volunteers if you want to help those two days, but also this is the final day for uh, ordering pre-order or pre-event T-shirts. Um, so if you want to get your T-shirt before the event and wear it to the event, um, you, can, you can do that today. Youth Camp, June 13th through the 16th. We're getting geared up for that. There's a sign-up sheet for helping out with that, um, as well as your registration forms for your kids, okay? And all the information's in there for that. All right. Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments. This is the second time the Ten Commandments have been written down for us. Um, but Moses is going over it again for this next generation, uh, reminding them that the promises and the, the covenants that God has, has made is with them, um, not with those who decided not to follow through on the promises and go into the promised land, but for those who are willing to go into the promised land. And um, So he's going to go over this with them, and it's good for us to go over it as well. Um, the Ten Commandments are broken up into two sections. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. Uh, the last six have to do with our relationship with one another. Um, and of course, if you don't have the first four down, you're not going to get the rest of the six. You have to have that relationship with God. And so he breaks them down that way. First and foremost, we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why Jesus was able to say all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in those two commandments. Um, um, and so, verse 1, And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up the mountain. Uh, Moses is obviously reiterating that this is for you. It's a personal relationship. It's not something your parents had. It's something that you have. And of course, God always encourages that throughout the scriptures, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old. I want you to know me and I need to know you. You know, God wants that in us. 
Um, so my parents' faith and my parents' religion and my parents' walk with God doesn't count as mine. And it goes both ways. Just because their parents didn't walk with the Lord doesn't mean that you can't walk with the Lord. And he'll, of course, uh, build on that here in a little bit. Um, and so he just wants them to know that this is personal, that God loves them specifically, not just the nation, but them, this generation, and the next generation. But it's, it's with each generation he makes these deals with, these covenants with. And so Moses says, and I stood before you and I was the mediator between you and, the, and, and God. I, I was the one that stood on behalf of you. And they asked him to do that. He'll go over that in the end here. But they were afraid of God. They were afraid of the fire and the smoke and the, and the wrath. And God says, that's a good thing. I wish you were always afraid of me like that. Um, not terrified that I'm going to drop the hammer on you, but respectful, honoring, um, you know, understanding your place versus my place. He liked that. And so he made Moses the mediator. Moses represents Jesus Christ in the sense in the Old Testament. He kind of foreshadows what Christ has done for us as Christians. Christ is our mediator. Um, I can't go to God on my own. I can try. But throughout the Old Testament, we're shown that every time anybody wanted to come to God, there needed to be a sacrifice. Our relationship uh, can't work uh, until we get rid of this sin, the thing that separated us from each other. We have to talk about that first, you know. Um, easy example would be a husband and wife have a serious argument, a serious uh, sin has taken place, no matter what it is, and they've separated. Well, you don't call them up the next day and say, what's for dinner, honey? You know, uh, I don't know what's for dinner yet, honey. We need to talk about what happened yesterday first before we can go on to the niceties of life, you know. And that's the same way with God. We don't just get to show up some days and say, you know, God, I haven't talked to you in a while. What's up, dude? Uh, you know, I need some, need some help with this problem. I was wondering, okay, can we talk about your sin first? Let's get that straightened out first before I start granting wishes uh, on your list here. Um, and that's why Jesus came, to have that dialogue, to have that restoration. Um, he came to uh, bring us together and to give us his righteousness. And so Moses represents that. All right. The first commandment, he says, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He starts with that because he wants them to know what he's done for them. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, little G's, you know. We know for a fact, and the scriptures teach us, that there are no other gods. There just aren't any. Um, there, there is no other creator. There is no other creation. We're in it, and it's His, and He made us, and there's no way getting out of that. Um, I don't know what, what people are thinking when they think they're going to leave Jesus and go someplace else. There really isn't it, any option to. Uh, I don't know where they're going, but they're mad, so they're just going to do that, and they say that, and God knows that. He knows we're puny little minds that get kind of frustrated sometimes, and we, and we spout off, and we don't know what we're saying. And, um, but God says, I don't want any other gods before me. Now, Although there aren't any, we can manufacture gods, and we do. And we probably have. About everything on this earth has been worshipped in one way or another throughout history, whether that's a tree or the earth or a chair or a person or a spouse or children or your job or your boat or your Corvette or whatever. It may. I always pick Corvette. I don't even, do they even sell Corvettes anymore? They probably do, but Lamborghini. I don't know what's modern, uh, Fer Ferraris or whatever. You, know, you can worship those things, wiping them down with a diaper every night you know, kind of thing. Um, he says, I don't want any other gods before me, even the little G's that you make. Um, uh, it's not going to do you any good. It's going to be harmful to you to worship these things. Uh, um, 
I'm the creator. I'm the one that has the answers. I have wisdom for you. These are deaf, dumb idols. They can't speak. They don't hear. They don't have brains. And although you want them to answer you, more than likely when you get an answer, it's your own voice telling you what to do. And man, when we guide our own lives, it's not the greatest. We don't do so well. Um, And God knows that. um, When God made creation, um, it was great. It was really nice. It was perfect. Um, We didn't even need clothes. You know, we didn't have to worry about thorns or anything like that. Everything was just the way it's supposed to be. And it was always supposed to be that way, but we sinned. We decided that God didn't know what he was talking about and that we knew better than he did, guiding our own lives. And Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit that they were told not to eat of, and everything broke. And now we do have thorns, and now we do have troubles, and we have pitfalls and snares and bad guys and good guys, and we've got all these things going on around us. And that's what the Ten Commandments are for. Not to, they're not fun killers. Uh, it's a navigational system to make it through this life without falling into all the snares and the traps that this world now has to offer us that didn't before. And so he says, I don't want you to have any other gods because when you speak to these little Gs, it's just you. And you think a lot of things that are bad ideas are good ideas. And they're not. And any kid will, any kid's like that. Um, any child that doesn't have wisdom or any experience will think that it's a good idea to do this, that, or that. No, sticking the screwdriver in that socket is not a good idea. Why, Dad? I'll tell you why. There's electricity. And you try to explain it to them, but they're looking at you like you're crazy. And that's one of those moments where you don't need to experience this. You're just going to have to trust me at my word that putting that in there is not going to be a happy day for you. you know? uh, my aunt did that. She stuck a screwdriver into a socket turned her hand black, even though her dad told her not to. She's recovered since. She kept the hand, but boy, that's a hard way to learn. God's given us these commandments and many others and many other guidances throughout the scriptures to keep us from those disasters that we can find ourselves in, guiding ourselves. So no little G's. Now, the other part of that is before me. Now, he's not saying he wants to be number one and you can have number two God, number three God, and number four God as long as he's number one God. Not what he's saying. The word before is like, like right now. I am before you and you are before me. We're in the same room. We're in the presence of each other, basically. God says, I don't want anything in the presence of us. Okay? And I think everybody can understand that. If you've ever been married or had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, it's not fun to have the third person there. You know? Well, you're my number one boyfriend. He's just on standby over here in case you don't do what I want you to do. Not a good thing. You know, obviously. And God's the same way. You know, I'm a jealous God. I'm, I'm your God. I'm your creator. I'm your father. I'm, I'm everything. I don't want to share. So no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, kind of going along with the gods thing. Uh, but just in case we didn't understand that, don't make any carved images, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth, uh, in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So there's the the context. Of course you can whittle a bird. You know, that's fun. Take some soap and teach your kids how to whittle an animal or something. There's a, it's when you put candles around it and start bowing down to it, we've got a problem here. It's, it has no uh, power, and so don't do that. Don't worship these things. So art's great, um, but you can't worship them. You know, they ought to be able to be burned or destroyed, and nobody gets worked up about it except for the effort that went into it, you know. Um, art's beautiful. I love art. Uh, it's fantastic. It's one of the ways we express our love for God. Um, it's very important to use those gifts and don't be worried about it, you know, um, but just don't worship the created thing. 
you know. Um, so he warns him about that. Don't. And here's what he says. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We discussed that. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So people get worked up about this. Third and fourth generational sins. They say you're, you're in a generational sin. This is mentioned, I think, three times in the Bible, this situation where um, you do something wrong and it's visited to the third and fourth generation. That doesn't seem fair. Well, you read carefully. Uh, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to the thousands of those who love me. Okay, so the difference isn't, you know, you're not, you're not bound to this sin. It's not like my grandpa sinned, and therefore I'm still suffering God's wrath upon my life. No, if I hate God like my grandfather hated God, I can, I can count on God visiting me like he visited him. That's going to be consistent. The same generation is going to get, and you're going to carry on with those same sins. You're going to do the sins that they did because you've done nothing to change your course. You are a product of your environment at that point, and you've allowed yourself to be a product of your environment, um, which is going to be kind of a long subject today. Um, but it's to those who hate me. You are not identified by what's happened to you from other people. You have to learn that. We have to understand that the world all day long wants us to worship it, a creation, the world, a bird, or whatever. It also wants us to worship ourselves and that there's nothing we can do about it. And they are more than happy to teach you that there's nothing you can do about it. You're just the product of your environment. Your dad beats you. That's why you beat your kids. So you can blame dad. Willingly alleviating of your responsibility to conduct yourselves appropriately. But God's made you a free moral agent. You have the choice to follow after your father or your grandfather. Nothing that's happened to you can define you or should define you. God defines us. How he feels about us. How he's, we were made in his image. We are that individual. We are that powerful in a sense. We're not God. Don't misunderstand me. But we are made in his image. We have a mind. I can choose not to do that. I know that was wrong, what happened to me. By whomever. But you don't have to be the victim. That's a choice you have to make. Am I going to be a victim forever? Or am I going to stop this and say, this is now how we're going to live. And I'm going to carry this on to the third and fourth generation. Receiving mercy from God. Receiving grace from God. Changing my life. And my kids now know how to walk with the Lord. And it goes both ways. Don't let those things in the past drive you. The world just loves that. And that's how they make money off of that. You're never going to be okay. It's always going to be an issue. And that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that you can forgive. God's Word says that you can change. God's Word says that you can be obedient to Him and you don't have to be a product of your environment. That's up to you. You can do that. Be encouraged by that. Even if it goes against what you've been taught or even if it's, you know, sometimes people love this church until they don't. So you come across something in God's Word that really strikes the heart. It's like, wait a minute. Now, you were fine up until you said that. I'm telling you what God's Word says here. He says, He says this. He will visit to the generations all the way to those who hate Him. Do you hate Him? Or do you love Him? I mean, do you love Him, love Him? Do you worship Him? Do you know what worship is? I hope you do. To truly worship God, not as an idea or an abstract thought, but the person, God the Father, the person, Jesus Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you love them? Do you worship them? Are their opinions more important than yours or anybody else's? Or are there other opinions that are more valuable to you than God's? 
He's got to be your all in all to worship him in spirit and truth. Um, and he wants that from us. And so he says that. Don't have any carved images. Don't have any other gods. I hate that. I don't like that. It's not good for you. It's what's harming you. And when you receive mercy from God for the first time because you love him, and you receive grace from God for the first time because you love him, it's at that point you can start to give out that mercy and grace to those around you. Receive that from him. Change your life. Let that happen to you. Um, he is desiring that forever. He died for the sins of the world. It's just the world doesn't choose him. But he did die for the sins of the world. They have that option. They have that choice. Verse uh, 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It's very important to him. Three different ways to look at this word vain. The word vain can be like what we think, a curse word, using it as an adjective. But keep, the, keep this in mind. He's talking about, he doesn't like it when anybody does it, but he's not talking to the world. He's talking to those who follow him. I don't get to take the Lord's name in vain. Um, I don't get to do that, use it as a curse word. The second way is uh, flippantly or irreverently or just disrespectfully throwing it around like it's no big deal. I get concerned about Jesus' memes. I think that's a little, you know, well, well, yeah, but a Christian wrote that. It's supposed to be funny. Well, okay, be careful. Just don't be flippant about his name. But the third thing is, um, remember it's a marriage. Um, between you and, and Jesus, and you've taken his name as you've asked him to be your Lord and Savior. Um, you want him to be your all in all. Um, and like in a regular marriage, marriage ceremony, a normal one, when you, uh, the, the woman loses her last name, gives it up, and takes on the name of her husband as a last name, that's biblical. That's the picture here, um, that it's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. I'm no longer identified by by who I was, I'm identified by who I am now in him. I'm in Christ. And that's the idea of the wife being hidden in the husband. It's a picture of our being hidden in Christ. So it's beautiful. It's awesome. Um, but don't take that name, making it your last name, making him a part of you in vain. Um, I want to walk worthy of that. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's my king. That means I'm his subject. Um, that means I represent him. I'm an ambassador, he says. I want to make sure that I don't take it in, in vain. Um, so that's great that you don't use his name as a cuss word, but do you walk worthy of the honor of having his name? Um, that can be taken in vain also, so be careful. Um, we want to do that. Don't take his name in vain. Uh, four, and the final one between our relationship with, uh, with us and God, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. He doesn't want the Sabbath day to just be a day of rest. He wants it to be a holy day of rest. It's holy. Um, and, and we can get off track on these things. Um, God, on the seventh day, rested from his works, from his labors. He took a day off. Now, God, God doesn't get tired. He didn't need it, obviously. Um, nor did he run out of ideas, and that was it. That's all I can think of today. I mean, you know, he's God. Um, but he decided to, on the seventh day, take a rest. And he wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to have that rest. Now, your Sabbath may be Sunday, it may be Saturday, it may be Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, but sometime during the week, he wants us to take that day off. Um, and that's the physical side of things. The spiritual side of things is, is explained in Hebrews 4 um, about Jesus being our Sabbath now. And so uh, as the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews, uh, he says, Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest when he brought them into the Promised Land, 
God would not have spoken about another day of rest till, still uh, to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. So the people of God brought into the promised land um, were given rest, but not the rest that it was speaking of. They were supposed to be looking for their Messiah. They're supposed to be looking for Jesus. And so he says, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will, we will fall. Jesus is our rest. He's our Sabbath. Um, we've worked for salvation or tried to be good enough, and we've failed. And, and that's what the Ten Commandments are really for, a tutor to bring us to that place in our minds. I, I haven't kept them. What do I do? Um, and that's to bring us to Jesus, that he has uh, made a way for us. And I can't work my way to heaven. I have to receive it freely. It cost him everything, but it's a free gift, free grace. Um, but very expensive for him. I mean, he's given us that. And so he wants us to... So you understand his seriousness here of verse 12. I want you to keep the Sabbath. In a literal way, certainly take a day off, but also in the spiritual way, you must keep Jesus as your rest from your labors to get to heaven. You have to. You can't add to it. And as we've been going over Wednesday night, going through some of Paul's epistles, it was very easily done by the churches to fall back into that works mentality. Oh yeah, Jesus saved you, that's great. Now be circumcised, now be baptized, now use the King James Version only. Now whatever you want to throw in there to add a caveat to salvation. And Paul says, no, no, absolutely not. Um, You can't do that. Um, you, You have to keep Jesus as your Sabbath. And so he says that, now six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. And then he puts a colon here because he knows how we think. Okay, this is I got that. No work. Well, here's what I mean, he says. Um, you, nor your son, nor your daughter. So no child labor on those days. God didn't say you couldn't work. You know, no, no, no. I want everybody to have a break. You know, Get out there and get some water for dad. You know? uh, nor your male servant, nor your female servant. So even your employees, you know, they need a day off. They need that rest. Um, at least give them the opportunity. It's up to them whether they take it or not. It's still free will, but I like the way Chick-fil-A works. I mean, um, their heart is honestly, I want them to have a day off. I want them to enjoy their family. I don't want them to have a second job for Sundays. They pay them enough that they don't have to have a second job. I want you to just have this day off with your families. And, and I'm, we're, we're going to make it in such a way that there's no temptation to even try to get overtime. You just can't on Sundays. You can work six days a week all you want. But on Sunday... We're, we're shutting down so that you don't even have that. I can't go to work, you know. Even if it was open, I can't, you know. They were alleviating them of their responsibility and that urge inside to go work a little bit longer, just a little bit harder, save up a little bit more, you know. He's like, look, we're not open. Stay home. And he does that, he does that for, his, for the families in them. And that's good, and they should take that. So let your employees off. You know, let them have that day. They need it. They may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Um, you know, you've had 400 years of no days off. I want to give you a day off. You know, let me take care of you. And so we have that. Now, um, you know, we have differing views on Sabbath days, and, and, and um, hopefully we covered that in Hebrews 4, that there, there is no more set day. But some people are, are set on it. Saturdays are the only day. It's a seventh-day week. You have to take Saturday off. 
And that's fine. And Paul covers that in Corinthians. He says, if, one, if you esteem one day above another, great. And I'm paraphrasing. But if you esteem every day alike, great. It's when you put it on other people. That's the problem. When you look at the Sunday worshipers as Saturday worshipers and say that they're wrong and they're worshiping the sun, well, fine. Then you Saturday worshipers are worshiping Saturn. Uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's a foolish argument, um, and it's just to make one person better than the other. Look, if Mondays, Sundays are not my day off. I don't know if you know that or not. They're not. <laughs> I, I don't take a Sabbath on the Sundays. This is my busiest, one of my busiest days of the week. Mondays are second. Um, but God always provides a day where I do. I just sit back, you know, and hang out with the kids. I, to, to, to help, you ever... Uh, um, you ever read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, you know, The, the Little House in the Prairie? All the guys are going, no, I'm not going to admit that publicly. They're awesome books. They really are. They're great. Um, so is Anna of Green Gables, but that has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. But they got it wrong in those books about the Sabbath. Charles doesn't have it right. Um, on Sunday, they would have their kids sit on the edge of their bed all day long. And some of you parents are like, yes, that's a great idea. No, 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 it's not. It's not because you spend the whole day telling them not to fidget, not to move, to sit still. And that was the worst day of the week for those gals, for those little girls. The worst day of the week. Sunday is supposed to be a day of rest and fun and hanging out and relaxing, which is what God wants. Ends up being the worst day of the week for them, the hardest day. Ask any kid. I want any kid. Sit still. All they can think about is moving. You know, I'm the same way. In fact, the next church I think we build, we're going to have a track so some of you people can walk. Because this is like the, yeah, it's like the longest hour of the day. It's like, oh, <laughs> I love God's word. I love God's word. I love God. It's hard to sit still. Our Sunday school ministry back there, we tell them, just let the kids play with Legos. Let them do something while they're hearing the story. They pay attention better. I remember when I was teaching fifth and, or five and six-year-olds, you know, I'd just dump these piles of Legos on the ground, and they'd all lay on their stomachs, and they'd just be building, and I'd be teaching. And someone came in and says, they're not paying attention to you. I said, oh, yeah, they are. Watch. And I just ask a question. Hey, who, what's this? Five hands go up. Nobody's looking at me. Nobody's watching me. Who cares? They don't need to see me. They need to hear God. And they raise their hand and they go, I go what is it? And he's going, it's uh, Jesus. He's, uh, he's pouring the water down. You know, he's, he's the seventh barrel. And there, as he's great theological, I'm like, and they walked away. You know, we got to move. So understand God's heart. He says specifically in his word that man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. God gave us a Sabbath. It's a gift. It wasn't meant to be torture, you know. Um, it's meant to be a gift to you. He wants us to rest. So physically and, and not spiritually speaking, let your bodies have that day off. Let your mind have that day off. There is always going to be laundry. I guarantee it. There is always laundry, and there is always dusting, and there is always vacuuming. It's always going to be there. And rest, you know. Give yourself permission. That's what he's doing. He's giving us permission to just take a break if you can. Um, and I understand there's cattle and things like that. I was thinking about, you know, and, and some of the ranchers, and they're like, well, yeah, of course, you got to take care of your animals. And that's what he's saying there. Is it right to help a donkey out of a pit? And well, of course it is. Get that poor thing out of there and give him water and food and do all that. Um, just don't, don't, you know what I'm saying. Don't work like it's Monday. Take the day off if, if you can. You know, take the break. Okay. So those are our relationships with God. Um, and now verse uh, 16 is our, we're switching gears now to 
um, to our relationships with one another. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that you, it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I, I got a little fiery for first service on this. I don't mean to, but um, honor your father and mother. That doesn't mean make them live as long as you can make them live. This is a soapbox for me because I'm going through this right now with my parents, so give me a break. Um, my parents don't want to leave their, they've moved from a, from a house to a duplex to a patio home to an apartment now. They do not want to go to a, to a nursing home. And they probably need to be there. Mom's broken her hip. She's broken all of her ribs. She's fallen all the time. And it's like, you know, you suggest, hey, do you think we need to get some skilled care in here or whatever? And they're like, no. All right. Okay. That's just fine. When you're ready to go there, I'll be glad to take you. But I am not going to make that decision for you. You are an autonomous, an an adult. I'm not going to become your parent you know exactly what you want. I completely understand you. I wouldn't want to be taken there either because someone wiping my rear end and helping me go to the bathroom every day, I'd just rather stink all day long. That'd be fine with me. I know. I'm working through this. But it's like, look, Dad, I love you and I honor you. And I hope my kids do the same thing for me. I, I, if you want to die slipping in the shower and no one knowing about it, that's completely up to you. But my job is to not make them live a miserable existence where they don't want to live the rest of their lives just to have more longevity. I want them to have the life they want. I will put bars up all over their house for them. I will put buttons everywhere for them to push if they need it. I'll get rid of every transition, put in new bathrooms for them. Whatever you need, mom and dad, because I honor you and I love you. But I'm not going to force you to go someplace you don't want to go. You know. Now, some people have a... a I'm going to put in my little uh, disclaimer here. I know some of your parents are your parents are struggling with Alzheimer's and things like that. And that's a different deal. That is hard. They're not making wise decisions, and it's not them saying it. They're just being feisty and you know whatever, and they're going to hurt somebody else, not just themselves. You know, and I know you got to pray your way through those things. Please, I do have compassion. Understand that. Um, 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 and may God give you wisdom and you be led of the Holy Spirit. But the honoring thing, that is honoring. Honor your parents. They're adults. Um, you know, it's so important. So important. And, and it's, it's for you. Um, you know, your parents took care of you and did everything they could for you. And it's, it's so funny how it's opposite. And I know you've all seen this, but as your little kids, they help you learn to walk. And pretty soon they take their hands off and they do as little as possible to help you to become the adult you need to be. That's the idea behind it. And as parents, with our parents, it's the exact opposite. You put your hands on as lightly as you need to, just enough to stabilize. And you find yourself giving a little more and a little more and a little more until they absolutely need you all the time. And I think God's designed that on purpose. It's for us. It, it is difficult. It is hard. It is taxing. It does take time. But it's for us because we're giving. We're giving, we're giving, we're giving. And the honor, I believe, grows through that time. I believe you honor your parents more and more as you do more and more for them. And so if you're going through that, we're praying for you. Honestly, we are. I'm praying for myself and I'm praying for you because it is, an, it is a fine line. Um, but it's, it's probably one of the greatest things you'll ever do in your life is to take care of your parents the best you can, the best you can. Okay, verse 17. You shall not murder. 
I don't think we need to add anything to that. <laughs> he, he doesn't. Don't kill other people, you know. Um, I will say this. It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. Uh, it says thou shalt not murder. Murder is the killing of innocent. Um, killing people, God's all for the death penalty. He invented it. In fact, you wouldn't be saved without the death penalty. If you don't understand that, Christ wouldn't have been crucified. And so God uses the death penalty in, in many different ways, but um, that's not what it's talking about here. Here he's saying don't kill innocent people. Kind of a no-brainer, you'd hope. Um, you shall not commit adultery. Same kind of deal. Nope, you can't have somebody else's wife or husband. Draw. Nope, not allowed. Um, doesn't matter how much you love each other. You don't love each other enough to break God's commandment. So don't love each other anymore. Stop it. Um, um, get back with your wife, get back with your husband, and do what you're supposed to do. Whoever you're married to now is your husband, is your wife. That's who they are. Um, and God has blessed you, and you, you need to see the beauty in that. Um, so no adultery. You shall not steal. Of course, you can't take other people's stuff. But from, from youth, from babies, we know that. Uh, we know to steal. Uh, every kid needs to learn how to share, you know, um, and learns, needs to learn how to not to take. Uh, you know, oh, kids are so cute and innocent. No, they're not. They're mean little kids. They look at other kids' toys, they grab it right out of them with complete disregard for their feelings. And the other kids look at them going, you just took my thing. And they know you've broken a commandment. They don't know how to say that, but they know it's happened. And so we teach our kids to not sin right off the bat. No, 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 don't steal. We don't say that. Um, give it back to them. And how they give it back is just as important. Don't let them throw the toy back at the kid. That's, that's usually next. Fine, have it. Bonk. You know, no. Okay, now we got two problems. No, it's no assault and battery either. Um, but to steal, you know, don't take other people's stuff. And he's moving. These all kind of blend together because he's going to get to covet here in a minute because um, that's kind of the same thing. Um, you don't get to steal other people's things. Be content with what God's given you. And that's it. Don't take other people's stuff. Uh, verse 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, we, we like to simplify this to don't lie, and that, that certainly is included in this, but the bear false witness is to assassinate their character. It has a lot more to do with gossip than it does to do with lying. Um, you don't have the truth, you don't have the facts, and you're spreading things around without knowing or even talking to the person. Um, you're bearing false witness. You may think you're bearing true witness, but you don't know that. And so, you know, you need to keep quiet until you know. Um, what, and, and then even after that, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. So even if there is sin involved, does it mean you need to spout it off? I think it's always best to let God reveal things. I don't need to be the revealer. Oh, we love being the revealer, though. You know, have you heard? Yes, I know. You know, it's a prayer request. I just wanted you to pray. You know, no, you like to reveal sins of other people. Be careful. Um, let love cover the multitude of sins. So watch that, bearing false witness. It has a lot more to do with gossip than it is necessarily lying. Um, verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his uh, female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. He's not saying you can't want a house for your family. That's not coveting. That's wisdom. You want to take care of your family. You can't have their house, though. Take it from them. You know, I love your house. I don't know why you're living there. You should move. No, it's theirs. And same with the wife. Boy, she's a great wife. How come I don't have a great wife? I wish I had your great wife. You can't have her, you know. These are other people's stuff. Again, it's the no stealing thing. Coveting comes in a different way, though, a different form. It can come in the sense that you're jealous of what other people have. 
And you don't necessarily say, I want that, but you don't know why they need to have that. Why are they, why, why, I wonder why they bought that car. Do you know how much that car costs? That's unbelievable. Hmm, and there we go, bearing false witness with false accusations and judging and all that. But really what you're saying is, you know, well, I didn't need that when I was a kid. How come they have that when they're, I don't see, there's just no need. You understand that if you played that out, your, your great-great-grandfather doesn't know why you need electricity or why you need plumbing? Why do they need plumbing? There's no problem walking out to the outhouse. Okay, we're moving on, Grandpa, you know, and up, I hope. Well, you're just, you know, you're just a millennial. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really not. Uh, you know, careful about that codger mentality. Um, it's okay uh, for people to get the stuff, that whatever they want to get. It's their own business. It really doesn't have anything to do with you. And scripturally, he says that. I'm gonna, I'll hit two scriptures on that. Um, so this covetousness can come across in kind of a funny way. There's a jealousy kind of thing. Well, I don't know why they need smartphones. You kind of do. That's uh, where we're headed. Smartphones are great, you know. Sorry, Greg. Uh, smartphones are... He's got one of those B, C, uh, you know. <laughs> so he texts me, and it's like this, there's no, no vowels. It's like, okay, what's Greg saying? I'm trying to do. But for the rest of the world, it's okay to have these. Think about this. I mean, I know you have, you have and most of you have grown up with them. But for me, I, I could be two in the morning, and I can wonder how to make beef Wellington, and I can find out 2,700 recipes. Instant. That's a dumb one, but I can find out. When I'm studying my Bible, I bring my phone. I'm like, what does that word mean? All this stuff. It's just excellent, the information we have. It's amazing. Everybody's brain is in my hand. I love it. It's so great. Um, so I don't, I don't, why are they on their smartphones all the time? Because they're getting smarter than you. That's why. They're learning. They're having fun, you know, and, and that's where we're headed. So, I, you know, be careful about that. All these kids these days, you know, uh, mind your own business. Um, and... Okay, scriptures. I better get to the Word of God here. Second, Second Thessalonians 3.12. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. So maybe you're too idle if you're too busy worrying about what other people have and are doing. Right? Get a job. Verse 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. I love that. It's right in the Bible. Mind your own business. I love that. Um, you know, and for, for me personally, we, we've had to battle with that. Jenny and I have had to battle with that a little bit. Um, you know, we've, we've decided to raise our kids in a certain way by homeschooling, and not to say that public school is bad. We just felt like God to do it our, this way. And uh, we've also given every kid the option to go to college if they want to go to college, but if they don't, we're doing other things with them. And so we've opted to teach them marketable skills um, from early on. Um, Seth went to drum lessons forever. He was a visual kid. He um, liked making films, and so we made sure he had a computer, and we made sure he had all the tools he needed to uh, to develop those gifts that we saw that God had given them. Same with JC. We, you know, for his graduation gift was a, was a, we got, well, he got a car when he was 16 um, and he got a, a guitar when he was 18 as graduation because we knew that was his marketable gift. Um, and for, for Evangeline, we're down in St. Joe probably four or five days a week 
um, and she's learning skating. And it's not because she's some rich kid that wants skating. It's she's going to make $60 an hour teaching skating when she's done with this. Uh, so these are marketable skills that are very important. Um, Seth got a camera for his graduation, a nice, nice camera, and he's making movies with those out in Utah. He has his own company now doing commercials. So it's one of those things where you, you kind of had to struggle. I can't believe they buy their car for a kid for their 16 years old. You know, mind your own business. Um, uh, our kids are going in all these different directions, and we want them to use these. Go. You go down there. You go to St. Joe, because I'm tired of driving you, to be honest with you. Evangeline, get down there yourself. <laughs> we love watching you skate, but Go. Um, Anna's going to take horseback riding lessons, and she's got a piano, and she's marketing her skills already. She's teaching piano to a lot of your kids. You know, these are important. And so when I hear those things, and they come across once in a while, I can't believe they're, what kind of car are they going to get this time? I don't know, maybe a Mercedes-Benz if I feel like it, you know? Um, I don't know. But the idea is, um, don't covet. I don't covet your kid's college degree. Don't covet my kid's, you know... uh, really got to focus on what's God given you, what, God's, what God has shown you to do. Um, and that was the best thing for your kids. And I'm so proud of you for doing that as parents and way to take care of your kids. I love that. And you hope it's, you hope it's reciprocal, you know, it comes back to you, you know, the same way. Um, so it's okay. Don't let other people, don't worry about that. Um, don't covet, but then also don't worry about the coveters. Um, that's just kind of what they do. They're not, they have miserable lives. Verse 22, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness uh, with a loud voice and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And now he leaves out the fact that he smashed them and broke them (laughs) and had to make new ones, but he throws that in there. Uh, Verse 23, so it was. When you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. So they're terrified, you know. Uh, a respectful terror. They see the power. Um, and I think that's good for all of us to remember God's power and his strength and his might. Um, not because I'm scared that dad's going to come home because he's just this crazy guy. We never know what he's going to do. That's not the kind of fear he's talking about there. It's a healthy fear. It's a respectful fear. It's an honoring fear. And so they were concerned about that. So they asked Moses to be the mediator, um, to, to, to be their mm, go-between. You go near, they said, and hear all the Lord our God may say, And tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. So we just want to hear from you. And of course, Jesus is our mediator. He's the one that's come between. He represents us. He is the sacrifice. He's what makes it a way for us to go ahead and and minister one to another, um, to hear from him. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Um, So God agreed. I think it's good that they respect me. And here's what he says in verse 29, very similar to Matthew 23 when Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. He says this, Oh, that they had such such a heart in them that they would fear me always uh, and keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. I wish they'd keep this fear all the time, but 
eventually the fear wore off and they began to mouth off. And it happened when they got other gods, when he wasn't everything, when he wasn't their sole purpose and sole uh, uh, affection. Um, And when they got these other gods, their hearts were divided. um, And that was the first step for them to be mouthy with God and not to respect him and to honor him, to love him and actually complain against him. And and, uh, it doesn't go well for them. And that's why he cries out because he knows they're not going to stay that way. I wish they would. Oh, it would have been great if they'd stay there. And those are, those are missed blessings for us. Our obedience to God, there are so many blessings attached to our obedience to God. Um, and when we're not obedient to God, we miss out on what he has for us. And that's what he's sorrowful about. Go say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which you shall teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving to them to possess. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. In other words, I'm giving you all these things that you can be prolonged um, because if you don't, you're going to be removed is the idea. And it's, it's hard. Um, when God wants us to be obedient to him, not because his commandments say so, In fact, next week, I was going to get into this chapter today and I didn't get a chance, but next week he's going to talk about getting it in our hearts. These Ten Commandments are great to memorize and to learn and to get them in our heads and to even attempt to maybe be obedient to them, but he wants them in our hearts. Because when I have it in my heart that God is everything to me, everything else falls into place. I don't have to remember seven. What was seven? What was nine again? I can never keep three straight. No, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that relationship is right. And now all the other relationships fall into place, and they will. They will. You can't have a good marriage. You can't raise good kids unless you can't have a good employer-employee relationship unless this relationship is right first. That is the first thing. Everything else is symptoms. It's all symptoms of your problem with your relationship with God. Aspirin takes care of a headache. Not really. It only takes care of the symptoms. You just don't feel the pain anymore, but the the problem is still there. and that, and that being said, be careful of the books you read. The world is more than happy to teach you that, you know, it's the symptom issue and you need to take care of these symptoms, you know, how to listen to your husband, how to listen to your husband, how to listen to your husband, how to please your wife, how to please your wife, how to please... Look, worship God, worship God, worship God. Love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you will love your wife like she's supposed to be loved. And you will love your husband like he's supposed to be loved. And you will raise your kids the way they're supposed to be raised because he is the most important person in your life and his thoughts for you are. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Um, We we opened this word, opened your word this morning, and we we were hoping and praying that you would help us to be doers of your word, to actually hear you speak to us. And I pray that you have. And I pray that whatever you spoke to us, God, I know everybody heard probably something a little bit different, just specifically for them, because that's how you work. Help us to now apply it, to not forget what we've heard, but to actually apply it and to live it. Um, and we thank you that your word is truth, and you're not afraid to tell us the truth. Um, and we, we love that about you, Father. Um, and we thank you for that. Um, we honor you this morning. We pray that you are blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.